For as long as we have lived, for as long as we have known, love has carried us. You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Genesis Covenant Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. You can find out more about us at www.genesiscov.org. Enjoy the teaching in it together. that for a long time this morning, y'all. Uh, all right, and um, I'm going to invite up my friend Becky to read the scriptures. The scripture reading today is from Ezekiel 34, 11 through 16, and 20 through 24. For thus says the Lord God, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As shepherds seek out their flocks when they are among their scattered sheep, so I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places to which they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from their country, the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the water courses and in all the inhabited parts of the land. I will feed them with good pasture and the mountain heights of Israel shall be their pasture. There they shall lie down in good grazing land. And they shall feed on rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. But the fat and strong I will destroy. I will feed them with justice. Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Because you pushed with flank and shoulder and butted at all the weak animals with your horns until you scattered them far and wide, I will save my flock and they shall no longer be ravaged, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Becky. Thanks, Becky. Uh, let's let's pray as we start. And pray with me. God, here we are gathered together in the name of your Son Jesus, and we ask that you would um, meet us here. We know that you're already here, but we ask that you would meet us where we are. Um, not where we should be, but where we actually are. Amen? So I do want to welcome you to Genesis, and I especially want to welcome those of you for whom church is really tough. Um, gathering together like this maybe brings up all kinds of 
thoughts and memories, which are not good or fun or delightful. And I want to invite you into that space, knowing that it's hard, (laughs) knowing that it's maybe inconvenient for you. Maybe you thought you might have a seat all to yourself with no one sitting next to you, and then someone came and sat right next to you, invading your space. Uh, I want to invite you in today, and I want to invite you to look around, actually look around, uh, the people that you're together here in this space with. And I want to tell you that we're in this together. As 2017 draws to a close, one of the hardest years in my memory, I want to tell you that gathering together like this, whether it's a joy to you or an inconvenience to you, is a good thing to do because on our own, we can't quite make sense of the world. At least I can't. And I, if you say you can, then, I, then you need to teach me how to do it. So it's good to gather together, amen? It's good to sing songs together that remind us who God is in the middle of our confusion about who we are and, and all kinds of other things that are difficult. So here at Genesis, we follow the Revised Common Lectionary, which is, if you follow uh, Nick Throckmorton and OnTheEighthDay.com, it's uh, a three-year-long cycle of passages that follow the rhythms of the church calendar. And uh, so we have year A, year B, and year C, and we're ending year A today. So think of the seasons of the church calendar like chapters in a book that you return to over and over again. These chapters have different themes, and they're full of hope and loss and adventure and heroes that look like heroes, but then they turn out to be villains, and villains that look like villains, but then they turn out to be heroes. And then we have a God at the center of it all who becomes a Palestinian man, grows up in poverty, and ends up saving the world. And we read this story chapter by chapter or season by season. So this is the final week of ordinary time in 2017 in year A. And next Sunday, we're going to begin the season of Advent. And we're going to begin another liturgical year, year B. And I love following the church calendar in church planter circles I'm always the only one. <laughs> like, they'll say, hey, what series are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know, we're in year B. And they're like, well, what's that? That sounds interesting. And then I say, just go to ontheeighthday.com, which is a site my friend built to help us listen to, read, and follow. <laughs> anyway, well, you do it. Oh, Nick, you're so good. Um, and... I love following the church calendar for these reasons. It lifts up two of our church's values. Our church has seven values, which my church planner friends tell me is too much. Uh, And I I always say I don't care. Uh, It's who we are. So rhythms is one of our values. So the church calendar reminds us that there are beginnings and endings to things. That it doesn't just have to keep grinding on and on. So question, and maybe this, for some of you, this is all you need this morning. What needs to end for you? What chapter needs to close? What do you need to walk away from? And what chapter do you need to turn to in your life? What needs to begin? What do you need to walk towards? 
So those would be good thoughts to journal on this week as we start Advent next Sunday. But the second value it lifts up is this value of attentiveness. I think following the rhythms of the church calendar, when we talk about Advent being about longing and waiting for the light to come, it makes us attentive to the darkness in the world and to the little bursts of light that we see. Being attentive to us means that we're seeking a restored way of looking at each other, of hearing each other, of looking at God and hearing God so that we can join God in God's great work of cultivating new beginnings in the world. Amen? We need, we need a restored way of seeing if we're going to do that. We need a restored way of seeing each other. We need to be attentive to what is happening in each other so that we don't fall victim to the thought that the person that we're talking to is just a noun. They are who they are, and they're all, how they are now is how they've always been and how they always will be. But when we're attentive, we can look at each other like verbs. Oh, wow, you're not who you were last week. You're someone that's changing, that's different. And that's an invitation for some of us, amen? <laughs> no elbows. So the liturgical year always ends with Christ the King Sunday, as Terry told us, reminding us that Jesus the Christ, which means the Messiah or the King, is the center. He's the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega of all things. He's the thing in which all disparate things are held together. And that's where we are today. Instead of just focusing on one text, though, like I normally do, I'm going to try in 23 minutes to do all four. So I'm very excited about that. I've already wasted five minutes on the intro. So thank you, Joe. In Ezekiel 34, as Becky read, I'll just read two verses again. We read, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak, but the fat and strong I will destroy. I will feed them with justice. This is Christ the King Sunday. Now, this is an all-play question. All plays are designed to hear the voice of the chorus, not just the solo. How do kings normally like to describe themselves when they are being inaugurated as the king? Powerful and royal. Thank you, Isaac. What else? All-knowing. Thank you, Bob. (laughs) Better than everyone else. Thank you, Elias. Wealthy, fat, and strong. Thanks, Karen. (laughs) Hear me roar. What else? Selfish. Completely the king, exactly. I'm the king and there is no other. So I think kings typically are interested in, their, in themselves and lifting up their own agendas. And this is true from kings of old to kings currently. They seek the strong to surround themselves with. They tend to punish those who stray They tend to neglect 
the injured, and they tend to eliminate the weak. That's what kings generally do. And Jesus is described this way. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. Now, I'm just curious, has anyone ever tended to sheep before? I'm just curious, anyone in the room? Are you serious? What is it like to tend to sheep? <laughs> Nate says they're ignorant as advertised. What? Those fall right into the pit. They're sort of ignorant. That was a nice, that was a nice way of describing them. <laughs> Nate, that was very pastoral. Um, I have never, I mean, I've, I've petted a sheep, but as my family will attest to, whenever we go, Mary's laughing. <laughs> whenever we go to the state fair, man, and we go into the animal barn, I freak out. I mean, the smells, the, uh, the, how they feel is just all wrong. So like, <laughs> I just, I cover myself with that sanitary soap and stuff. I do one little quick you know, hey, hey, buddy, and then I just, I'm out, you know, I can't, I can't handle it, my, I'm not allergic, but I feel like I am, I just get all itchy and stuff. Uh, Shepherds in the time, in the first century, in the time of Jesus, and really anywhere else, um, this is what I've read, that if a group of shepherds would come into town, or if just one shepherd was wandering into town, maybe to get some coffee or some milk, you would smell him before you saw him. So they're disgusting. And this king, first of all, describes himself that way. I, let's see. I make the sheep lie down. I seek out the lost who end up in pits. I bring back those who stray. I bind up the injured and I strengthen the weak. That's the kind of shepherd that I am, God says. On Christ the King Sunday, whatever else Christ is, He's like that. For those of you who have strayed far, for those of you who have loved ones who have strayed far, the word of God to them is, I am seeking you out to bind you up, meaning to heal you, to find you, and to rescue you. That's who God is. That's what God does. So we need to know Christ the King as the shepherd primarily doesn't eliminate the weak. He goes out and finds the weak and strengthens them. But if you as a leader have become fat and strong because you have punished the strayed, neglected the injured, and eliminated the weak, if you've sought only the strong, then you will be fed justice, says the Lord. And so there's a tender word here, and there's a really strong word of judgment. And we think of judgment typically as bad, but I guarantee you every single person in this room, there is an arena in your life where you th judgment, there needs to be judgment by a good and righteous judge who judges according to the standards that he has set out, for leaders especially. If you have only sought the strong, only punished the strayed, only neglected the injured, and only eliminated the weak, then you will be fed justice. 
That is Christ the shepherd, who is Christ the king. The next text is John 10. I love this one. Verses 13 through 16. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I don't just go find them when they're lost. I lay down my life for them. And then he says, verse 16, I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Now that is good news. Especially if you feel like you don't fit in. I have a friend from Puerto Rico. His name is Carlos Rodriguez. And I had him on my podcast, and I just immediately love this guy. Uh, he's doing a lot of really good things for um, the poor and for his, own, um, for his own place of residence, or not residence, but where, where he's from, Puerto Rico. He got all these water filters. He raised money. He flew out there, gave them to people, and it's just amazing. But there was a time in Carlos's life where he planted a church, and he was getting all these accolades, and he's getting all these invitations, and then his whole world crashed. He got fired from his job. He almost lost his marriage. He lost all of his friends that uh, planted the church with him. He lost all of his invitations that came to him uh, to speak at all these events. And uh, this, I just saw this this morning. This is what he wrote on Instagram. I found Jesus at a Billy Graham crusade when I was 13, but I almost lost him in the political crusade of Franklin Graham. I found the spirit in my charismatic and Pentecostal tradition. I almost lost him when its leaders told me that the president was the only one who was anointed. I lost my job at the church I planted with my friends. I lost many of my friends who supported me while preaching there. I lost the invitations to the conferences and special gatherings. But the God I thought, but the God I thought I was finding found me in the wilderness. He loved me through my questions, accepted me in my uncertainty. Yes, there's a high price to pay for being yourself. There are legitimate repercussions for wandering and doubting. But trust me, my friend, Jesus is close to the brokenhearted. He sets the lonely in families, and he will remain faithful all the way to the end. The future is bright in the margins. So, John 10, 13. The hired hand runs away because the hired hand doesn't care for the sheep, but I'm the good shepherd. I take ownership in my sheep. They're mine. I know my own, and my own know me. No matter how badly human shepherds treat their congregations, Christ himself will seek out those who are lost. He'll bring them back. He'll bind up their injuries. He'll strengthen those who can't go on. And he will reckon with anyone who has grown fat by oppressing others. That's Christ the King. Psalm 100, 1 through 5. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord is God. It is he that made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name, for the Lord is good, or tov. His steadfast love endures forever. 
is faithfulness to all generations. So Christ the King is not just a shepherd. Christ the King is described as steadfast love, a love that endures. The word for steadfast in the Hebrew is dur, and it means to heap up or pile up or to dwell in. So in Psalm 100, what we learn about God or Christ the King is no matter what else gives up on you, you are Christ's very own. It's Christ that made you. You are his people, and his love for you will keep piling up. It will never run out. Here's an all-play question. Have you ever experienced the love of God like that? Because everything else in our lives run out. Our batteries on our smartphones run out. Isaac and I were firing up the tractor yesterday to take care of some leaves. It wouldn't start. We had to jump it. And then Isaac drove it all around the yard. It was so great. (laughs) Our energy runs out. Relationships run out. Sometimes you get so disappointed in someone that you feel like your love for them has run out. And we have this God who describes his son Jesus as being steadfast. The love just keeps piling up, keeps being heaped up. It, keeps, it, it, it heaps up so much that it actually dwells with you. There's a, kind of, there's a difference between someone that is there for you as a human being and thank God for those people. But there's a difference between those people and the God whose love will never run out on you. The God whose love endures forever and ever and ever is Christ the King. And you can only experience that kind of love. That's not a kind of love you can just hear about. You actually have to experience it. You have to experience it like a wave, wave after wave after wave coming after you, washing over you, even when you try to resist it. Have you ever done that? Like you, like you try to resist? You, you, you push away God's love? And God's like, well, good luck, because I'm going to just keep coming after you, piling it up over and over and over again. Ephesians 1, 20 through 23, God put this power to work in Christ. This is the third lectionary text. When he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The fullness of him who fills all in all. So here's some fun Greek. Fullness is the Greek word pleroma, and it describes a ship that's been completely decked out for a voyage. It has all the supplies, all the sailors, the nets are mended, the sails are ready to go. It is decked out. It has the fullness of all that's in it. But then the word for fills is this word plerao, 
and it means to cause to abound or to supply liberally. And this is where we're going to get really nerdy. Are we okay with nerdiness? I know you are, Fred. So that's in the present middle participle. The verb tense is. The present tense, so verb tenses in the Greek are in three different tenses. There's the present tense, there's the, uh, and that indicates continuous action. And so um, that's, that's where we're at, all right? And then there's the middle voice, and it's fascinating. It's hard to explain. Active voice is like, Jesus will fill his church. Jesus fills his church. Jesus is the actor, the church, receives it, and that's the active voice. The passive voice is this. The church is filled by Jesus. So Jesus is still the one, the one that's filling it. The church is receiving it, but it's said, it's said in the passive voice. But in the middle voice, it shows the subject, Jesus, or God, acting in his own interest or on his own behalf or participating in the results of the action. So this is saying not just Jesus is filling his church, but Jesus fills the body of Christ because it's his very own body. And Jesus doesn't see a separation between himself and his body. He's filling us, but he's filling himself as he fills us. See what I mean? This is radical in terms of union. Jesus sees his church as himself, an extension of himself. Now think about this. Jesus puts his reputation in our hands. Everybody okay with that? <laughs> Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, and I go seek the strayed. Now, I'm in heaven now, and you're filled with the Spirit, so you're my body, so what's your job? To go seek those who are lost. To go strengthen those who are weak. To surround yourself with those who have needs. Because, man, that's so fun and easy, right? As Jesus fills his church, Jesus sees us as a part of himself. We are his body. So on Christ the King Sunday, we're reminded that we are ambassadors of the king. That wherever we are, we are embassies. So wherever we are is kingdom territory. It's the territory of Christ. It's where Christ reigns and it's where Christ dwells. So it should be the place where Christ's love keeps abounding and spilling over. And that's only possible so far as we admit that we are weak and we are limited, amen, and that we need filling. So that is why Christ continually fills all in all. His body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Christ the King is the shepherd. He's steadfast love. He's the one who fills all in all. And then the last one comes from Matthew 25, and this is a longer text. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. 
And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison? And when did we visit you? And the king answered, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, you that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger or naked, or sick or in prison, and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So Christ the King is shepherd. He's steadfast love. He's the fullness who fills all in all, and he's also the least of these. Christ the King is the least of these. Now, before I go on, I'm feeling this impression in my spirit to apologize. When I quoted my friend Carlos, I didn't look at it closely enough, and I didn't mean to disparage um, the president. And so I want to apologize for that. So let that be out there. Fair enough? Christ the King, he's the least of these. So I have a, I have a friend, uh, one of my oldest friends, his name is Stefan. He and I lived in Michigan together for about a year. And um, we, we made this friend named Dave, and Dave lived on the streets. And so um, whenever we, we were with, and he had this, this chipped tooth smile, and he was just amazing. He was so awesome and fun. And, um, and he was an alcoholic, uh, who then that eventually took his life. But when we were with him, um, he just, he was, he was amazing. So one time Stefan uh, took him to go see a movie, and it was The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. So um, he took him inside the movie, and Dave, he lived on the street, so he had all these layers of clothes, right? And he doesn't, didn't go to a lot of movies. <laughs> so he came into the theater where it was nice and warm, and it was the wintertime, so all these clothes. And he didn't smell real good, and Stefan noticed that right away when they got inside and sat down, and he noticed the people, it was full because it was the Lord of the Rings. And so all, all these people were sort of noticing Dave. Dave didn't care. He didn't notice. He was just watching the movie. And then... What happens when you're kind of tired and you're kind of warm? Dave threw his head back and just started snoring so loud. So my friend Stefan is like, what do I do? I mean, do I get him out? Do I? And then he realized, I'm worried about my own dumb little reputation with people who I'll, I'll never see again. And my friend Dave is maybe getting some of the best sleep that he's gotten in his whole life. So let's do that. Another time, um, Stefan was doing this experiment. And this, he, he's, so, he's crazy like this. He would just try out a teaching of Jesus. Like he would just do it. So the teaching of Jesus he was trying out was, if you have two of something and someone asks you for that thing, you go ahead and give it to them. So we were in this caribou, and we were sitting with another guy that lived on the streets. And um, Stefan, um, well, this, so 
So, so this guy pulled out his wallet, and it was full of all these old stubs and just... It was kind of nasty. You know those big, huge wallets that you have receipts in there since like 1967? And then Stephen pulled out his wallet. He had kind of a nice wallet. And then and, and the guy looked at it and he said, man, that is a nice wallet. So Stephen was like, would you like to trade wallets? And the dude was like, yes. So they traded wallets. And then later on, Stephen was like, he just confided to me. He's like, I know i got to keep using this wallet, but it stinks so bad. <laughs> but he's like, and then later on in the conversation, um, Seven had just gotten a watch from his wife for his birthday. No kidding. The dude goes, hey, that's a nice watch. <laughs> and Seven just went, uh, I think it's time to go. <laughs> that's where the experiment ended, right? It was done. But the wallet, I mean, that was amazing. Uh, my wife, Mary, um, this, she, she told me this story. It was probably a couple years ago, maybe more than that. But um, sort of down, down the hill from us, in our, across our backyard, are these neighbors. And um, they were cooking. They were out on their patio barbecuing. And um, they were playing music and having fun. And Mary felt like she got this little prompting from God to just go down and say hi to them because we, we hadn't met them yet, you know. And Mary told me, she was like, I'm, I'm shy. I'm, I'm an introvert. I'm not going to go down and say, I mean, to some of you, it's like, of course you would do that. But like to us, we're kind of private and we're a little, you know, so I, I fully, um, like, ah. but, um, but she, she, she says she felt, she kept feeling it. It was, it was, it was strong. And so she was, she was we, we grow some herbs in our backyard, just little pots of like basil and different things. And so she, uh, you know, she chopped up some basil and then walked uh, down to them and said, hey, I, I noticed you're cooking, and here, here's some basil, and I'm Mary. My husband Steve and our, our boys live just, you know, up the hill up there, and how you doing? And, and they, you know, right, they, they were just like, oh, hi, you know, how, how's it going? But, um, but, but the least of these is sometimes as small as doing something like that. So it's not always trading your wallet <laughs> or bringing the guy that lives on the streets to the movie theater. Sometimes it's that. But sometimes it's just doing that little thing, like, you ever notice someone in a, maybe it's a dad or a mom that, like, they're in, they're in Target, and, and their kids are just going crazy? You ever notice that person? Um, and, and maybe their kids are, you know, just out of control. Like, and so just sometimes even that nice, that, that, that look that you can give them, like, I get it, you, you're, you're okay, you know, versus like, get out of my way, I need to get to the Captain Crunch. Um, that can be doing it to the least of these. You know, when, Lord, when were you shopping in Target and your kids were going crazy? Lord, when did your driveway need shoveling? Lord, when was your wine glass empty? And we can be the kind of people that serve the least of these, because when we do it, we're serving Christ the King. Amen? Actually, we're serving Christ the King. I mean, there's a lot of things in the Bible that are unclear and weird and, and goofy. This one is just about as clear as it comes. I am the least of these, Jesus says. And when you serve them, you serve me. So what about if our attentiveness just went up a little bit this week? And we started looking for the least of these, just in our normal lives. 
And what about if we serve them as if they were Christ the King? So my invitation for you as we end year A and go into year B is this. What characteristic of Christ the King do you really long to know? Is it Christ the shepherd? Is it Christ the one who brings steadfast love and keeps piling it up? Is it Christ the fullness who, feel, who fills all in all? Or is it Christ the least of these? Who, what characteristic of Christ the King shimmers for you? And what do you want to know more of as Advent moves through? Maybe just, if you know right now, maybe just write it down or put it in your phone. Is Christ the shepherd? Is it Christ who fills all in all? Is it Christ's steadfast love or is it Christ the least of these? And then just bring that into your attentiveness, into your prayers, and into your life. Amen?